going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 18. I'm going to start reading about verse 19. You have to forgive me. I'm trying this candy right here. See if it helps that cough. <clears throat> and it's very sticky. I don't know. I don't eat a lot of candy, but I don't remember it being this sticky, but I guess it is. But Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That's a pretty powerful verse right there. I hope you caught that. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask it shall be done for them of my father which is in heaven <clears throat> that's a pretty powerful all inclusive verse right there are you catching that now the next verse is just as powerful for where two or three are gathered together in my name there, I, there am I in the midst of them so now we have two incredible powers that are manifest through unity and agreement. Amen. The first of which, if two people can agree <clears throat> as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So we have an incredible multiplication of faith and power and we are able to exact the favor of God for whatever we petition the Lord for. Now secondly, if we come together, if two or three come together in his name, we can by our coming together in his name invoke the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, that's pretty cool right there. <clears throat> well, not only do we have that incredible power, but basically what we're learning here is that there's a reason Jesus sent them out two by two. There's a reason that we don't have church by ourselves. You know, some people, well, I tell you, I got in the presence of the Lord the other day, and I just had church all by myself. No, it ain't church till two of us get together. Then it's church. With just you and Jesus, it's devotion. And it's good. I recommend a lot of it. But we have to come together. And the greatest attack that we will ever see in our entire lives. The greatest warfare that we'll ever engage upon is in Satan trying to stop us from coming together. <clears throat> now somebody said, well, you know, all we got to do is just pray together. Well, no, it's more than that. See, it says if any, if any two of you Notice what it says here. If any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. So we have to have not only two people that are together, two people that are in position to make personal contact with the need, and two people that are in agreement about that need and the answer to that prayer. We don't come in. We don't. We don't come into that because we just met. Say, what are you talking about? Well, we. You don't just show up at church the first Sunday and I say hello. I'm the pastor, and you say, well, I hello. I'm the parishioner. Well, we'd like to see the uh, city get saved. Well, me too. Okay, let's go touch that picture and watch it happen. It takes a while, and there has to be a relationship until we're both praying the same prayer. 
And we're asking the same thing. And we share the same heart. We share the same passion. Uh, 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 we, we, we touch that and we ask that, amen, uh, with, with the same desire and the same faith. And that moves God. Why? Because that is, the, that is how that his church has continued to this point because God ordained that into place and because of that, the church exists and without it, the church would have died. <clears throat> the fact that there is something supernatural about our coming together. There is something super. I said there is something supernatural about our coming together. And so if we look how Satan fights, we're also going to see what, what it is that God is concerned about and how he tries to protect us. Because, you know, if we, don't read, um, if we don't read that first part, then we don't really get this last part. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Until seven times? Peter immediately shows up. He's like, okay, this sounds great, but I can't get along with him, and I can't get along with him, and I can't get along with him, and how long do I keep having to put up with their mistakes so that I can access this power? See, Peter was a pure cleric. He wanted the power. He just didn't want to have to hold John's hand when he prayed. You know what I'm saying? He didn't want, he didn't want to have to share the power. <laughs> so they all got in a big argument. Who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand? Well, <laughs> you think what you want to, but uh, I'm the rock. You know, if Peter had it his way, it would be just like Monday night wrestling. You know what I'm saying? When he walked out, there'd be, you know, rockets going off. <laughs> and I mean, literally, he, they, they called him the rock. So that's weird. And it says, you know, when he when basically, Jesus, he, he says, should I forgive him seven times? And of course, for Peter, that sounds like a lot. But Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So basically, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, what is Jesus trying to say right here? Jesus is trying to say the power that I just described to you is not worth anything that could happen to your feelings. Woo, I could shout over that if I was in a Pentecostal church tonight, but it is just quiet in here. You might just want to write that down. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus said there is nothing that can happen to your feelings that is more important than the two things that I just released in the spirit to you. That if you can get into an agreement with one person, God the Father will do anything for you. And that if you come together in my name, I will visit you and be in your presence. And there is absolutely nothing. In other words, if you're... If my, how long am I going to be wronged by my brother and keep on forgiving him? Seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. I mean, it just ain't worth it. Now, that is so counter 2011. Excuse me, Dr. Phil. But it's all about feelings, isn't it? And that's his favorite. Well, how did that make you feel? Well, who cares? Amen. I said, who cares? Oh, but I want to feel good. Well, here's a one way that you could feel good. Have God answer the greatest need that's in your life right now. How do you believe that would make you feel good? Well, it ain't going to happen without somebody in agreement with you. Probably the person that hurts your feelings. You say, why? Because the only people that can really hurt us are the people that are starting to get close to us. <laughs> say, what are you talking about? Some stranger flips you off going down the road and screams at you. I was in Ohio recently, and a lady screamed at me. It had something to do with my driving. I don't know why. There was plenty of space for my vehicle when I pulled in front of her. <clears throat> my brakes worked fine. <laughs> 
I'm sure she had plenty. But she decided to stick her head out the window and tell me blah, 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 blah. I, I don't know her name. I couldn't tell you her hair color. I couldn't tell you anything about her. I don't even care because I don't know her. But let me really start to care about somebody. And they walk into a room and didn't even notice I was there. And I'm my lips starting to punch out just a little bit. You know, it's like, I thought we were like really close. And you didn't, hello, I'm here too. Just falling all over everybody else. What about me? I thought we were like best friends. I guess I... You know, pretty soon you start thinking, well, man, I'm reading too much into our relationship. I guess I care where they don't. And, you know, by the time you get to mulling it over, they finally get over to you, you know, and look at you and say, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. How are you? Like you care, I'm leaving. What, what in the world happened? Because the closer you get, the closer you get, the more the dumbest stuff you ever imagined matters. It matters. I mean, I'm telling you, I've counseled couples over toothpaste. Men and I mean, guys sitting in there saying, squeeze it from the bottom. What? I mean, that's what we're going to do. We're going to say goodbye over that? That's it right there. Squeeze it over the bed. No, that's not what it is. It's just that I've asked her a thousand times, please. I've told her this is important to me. She just doesn't respect me. Again, the bigger the, the, bigger the love, the bigger the relationship, the easier it is to offend them over something small. Small things become... Big things. You're dropping pebbles and they're hearing bricks. <laughs> you know, you're pitching pebbles at the windows trying to get their attention and they're feeling bricks going upside their head and they're losing their self-esteem by the second. <sighs> and how does that happen? It's because in because words and relate words and deep the deeper the relationship, the more powerful the words are. Say, what do you mean? Okay, I just met you. You came to the church, and I say, uh, you know, to everybody that's here this morning, listen, I love you. Hey, love you too, Pastor. Hey, I don't really know you, but that was nice of you to say that. You know, that's what the visitors say. I don't know. But then I just say, I say the same thing to my little girl. I love you. She gives me a great big hug. Okay? I look at my wife two inches from her eyes and I say, I love you. And I hold that contact. Don't look away. Don't look at the television. Didn't even notice it was on. Somebody just won the Super Bowl. I didn't even notice. I looked her right in the eye and said, I love you. Well, let's just say it's going to be a good night. It's going to be a very good night. Same words. But the depth of relationship affected the meaning of the words. You know what I'm saying? When I said I love you, I mean that. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. When I said I love you to her, it means I'm going to pay all your bills for the rest of your life. (laughs) That's saying something for a guy, isn't it? I mean, how do you know that when the man looks at you and says that? So if, if, if he's a Bible man, that's what it means. We'll pay all your bills for the rest of your life. You're always going to have a place to stay. You know, I'm going to stand between the world and you and defend you and protect you. And so the meaning, because of the intensity of the relationship, because of the responsibility, because of the covenant of the relationship, all of that becomes affected by it. And so Jesus comes to us and he begins to explain to us how then is it that we're able to get to a place where that we can address feelings. Feelings are destroying the church. I'm absolutely amazed at how many vendettas there are out there. 
You know, a few years ago, it seemed to me that when people left a church and they went somewhere else, they were very careful about that. Their reputation mattered. They were careful about it. I remember when James and Sherry Keith came to our church, he came and visited the first time, and we had the craziest service the first time he was there. I just, all I remember about the service was, is I was standing up here with the microphone, and I said, take your neighbor by the hand and run around the church! And they did, and it was crazy. And I remember John Evans in the back corner banging his head against the wall. The power of God was hitting him, and it just looked like someone was going, hey, hey. Because he kept going, and he'd be all right for a second. And, go, and it, was just, it was just one of those kind of services. And James Keith just sat there and looked at all this circus going on. I thought, man, that guy's never coming back here again. <laughs> So he comes up to me after the service, and he goes, is it like this around here all the time? I said, no, no, today was just, you know, I don't know, everybody was just crazy today. It was just crazy today. I don't know what to say. He goes, and a big tear well up in his eye, and he goes, this is the greatest thing i ever seen. <laughs> but he told me a story. This is the story he told me. He said, six months ago, he said, the pastor rebuked me openly and in anger in front of everybody in the church. He said over something as, singing, as simple as singing a song that he didn't like. And he said, it hurt me. It hurt my wife. We, we had led the worship there for years. And he said, but we knew that if we left the church right away, it would hurt the church. He said, so we waited six months till everybody forgot about it and everybody calmed down. And he said, now we're going to leave because... Just because we feel like we should leave, we would never do anything to hurt that church. And man, I put him on the board. You know what I'm saying? I mean, did, we, matter of fact, we made a special amendment that you didn't have to be a member for as long as you used to have to be a member so he could be on the board. And I remember when they left, the same courtesy that he had extended, he showed to me. He came to me and said, listen, my brother-in-law's moving to E-Town that's my wife's sister's husband, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to move closer. We want to work with them, and that's why we've always had a great relationship with them because of the respect when they came, the respect when they left. I, you know, when I saw that, I, th I would always like to think, you know, I've never really left a church before. I've sent here, and I've been here 20 years, so I don't know much about this, but I'd like to think, that if I was ever just somebody sitting on a pew, that I would look at it like James Keith looks at it. And I would do like he did. And I would care enough about the church that even though I was right and I was wrong, I'd give it another six months just if it didn't hurt the church. You know, I'd like to think I have that kind of character. I, I don't know that I do, but I'd like to think that I do. And yet, that's not seemingly the way things work for a lot of people nowadays. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they don't, they don't, they leave, but they don't, they don't leave. You say, what do you mean? Well, they don't come to church here, and they don't give their money here, but they stay in touch with everybody, and they still like to know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And they still like to try to get even with whoever it was they were offended with. It's, it's something I don't, I don't quite understand. I mean, you know. I, I've always wondered if the church is so bad you got to leave, then why are you still trying to be friends with everybody who's here? We are, I mean, the church ain't a building. You're the church. Have you know that? And as long as they're still in relationship with you, then they're in relationship with the thank you, the church. Thank you. Kelly, if you didn't shoot these answers out, and they're so obvious, I, it would take so much longer. I appreciate you so much. I'm just in a gracious grateful mood tonight because I just think it's awesome. She always throws them out there for me so I can move on. The rest of you are nervous like it's a trick question. No, you're the church. So if they're in relationship with you, they're in relationship with it used to be when people left the church. Listen, they, they left the church. And they didn't want to be hanging around everybody in the church because the last thing they wanted to be seen is somebody who was trying to uh, proselyte members. Or someone who was trying to influence somebody the wrong way. Their reputation mattered to them. 
to that extent that I would never want to be seen as someone who was hurt in the church because they had a... See, the old school people feared God and understood the church is his bride. And if you want to tick somebody off, mess with their bride. You know, I've never been arrested in my lifetime. And I consider myself a pretty peaceful fellow. But if you mess with my bride... Preacher or no preacher, I'm going to go all East Cleveland up on you before you know what happened. I will cut you because that is my bride. Well, God has a reputation of violence. (laughs) And so most people have enough sense that if you want to go on with your life, don't mess with the church. And Jesus tries to show us that, first of all, because your feelings really are nothing to compare to the potential blessing in doing the right thing. And so what does he do? He goes on and says, forgive 70 times 7. Then he decides to give them a parable. Now, have you understand, he's still teaching about the power of two. He's still teaching about, you know, the potential of the kingdom of God. If two people will come together in my name, I'm going to be there. But he's gonna, now he's going to go into parable form because he can tell Peter's not getting it. <laughs> Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children all that he had in payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him, and what? Forgave him the debt. Man, that's pretty powerful right there, isn't it? How do you remember when you fell down and worshipped Jesus as Lord, and he forgave the debt? Someone said he paid a debt he didn't know. I owed a debt that I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Now we're talking about the difference of about $45,000 was the amount forgiven and $7 was the amount that was owed to the servant. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat. Get a picture of this guy. He's just been forgiven a debt of thousands, tens of thousands. And he gets a guy that owes him $7 by the throat and starts to choke him. Saying, pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, and went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Wow. That's quite a picture, isn't it? So when his fellow servants saw that was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Woo, praise the Lord. Think about the picture there of worship, of relationship with Jesus. See, we've we've gotten to the point in the church where we feel like that our relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ has nothing to do with our relationship with God. And we couldn't be further away from the truth. You think that you can go around and you can treat God's people how you want to. And that doesn't affect your relationship with God. You're wrong. He says, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. You know, we've got a lot of people that They think they're deep in God. They think they're deep. They're not deep. Because you can't be deep in God without being deep in love. God is 
on it again, Kelly. High five. Come on, give it up. These are not tough questions. Love. How can you be bitter, angry, and say, well, I'm deep in God? No, you're not deep. If you're deep in God, you're deep in love because God is love. You can't separate that. God is love. Love is God. God is love. Love is God. You can't separate that. See what I'm saying? You can't be hateful and full of God. You can't say you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have because your brother was made in the image of God. This is, I mean, it sounds simple, but I'm telling you, we need to tear some of this up because we've got to forgive. We've got to forgive. See, we're Pentecostals. We're, we're, we're not Baptists. We're not up here teaching you once you're saved, you're always saved. Or as Brother Jerry would say, once in grass, always in grass. Okay, that's, that's not the word of God. That's John Calvin. That's not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ defeats Calvinism completely right here. You say, how? Because he said, I forgave the debt. But when the man turned around and would not forgive, then I held him accountable again for his original debt. Have you understand? That's called backsliding. And the Bible talks about that when we backslide, we now take ownership again of our original position of sin. I mean, here it is right here. The word of God's very clear. He was forgiven, now he's not forgiven. Is that not the word? And why isn't he? Because of what he did. Showing once again, man may not have the power to make himself holy because holiness is an attribute of God and only God can wash us and make us clean. But man sure can dirty himself up all by himself. Just like Adam did. And this is where we see right here. Look at the Lord was loth and delivered him to the tormentors. He said, basically, should not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Then he delivered him to the tormentors till he shall pay all that was due. What happened? I thought he forgave the debt. See, don't you understand it? Your bitterness and unforgiveness will cancel out the grace of God in your life. That's why he said, Father, which is in heaven. He said, when we pray, that's how we pray. We pray to our Father and we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One gospel says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because he's already told us, in the measure that we judge, that same measure we shall be judged. And if we show no mercy, we have no mercy. I'm not getting a lot of help tonight, but this is good teaching. The only mercy you're ever going to get is the mercy that you give. And yes, does God come first and forgive us? Oh, absolutely. He shows us the way. And how foolish it is for us to look at somebody. Somebody hurt my feelings. Well, let's see. How does that compare to God forgiving every one of your sins? I mean, first of all, let's talk about the doctrine of original sin, the fall of man. In the fact that when Adam fell, humanity fell. And that we are born sinners. So therefore, everything evil that has happened in the world up till now, we are just as responsible for that as anyone else. That's what, that's what we mean by original sin. You know, the atrocities of Attila the Hun. Yeah, that's on us when we're born. You know, the, the, the uh, sacrifices to false deities 
babies that were thrown upon rocks and virgins thrown into volcanoes and centuries of paganism. That sin is on us. It's in us when we're born, and it is our nature when we're born. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. Every one of them will stand right there with chocolate ice cream all over their face saying, I can get an ice cream. I don't know. I don't know nothing about it. By the time they're six years old, they're a Philadelphia lawyer. Did you break the lamp? Look you right now. I didn't break the lamp. As soon as you leave the room, the ball broke the lamp. I was bouncing the ball, but I didn't break it. She asked me who broke it. I didn't break it. I didn't even touch it. The ball broke it. It's the ball's fault. What are you, a lawyer now? Crooked, lying, little. Spare the rod and spoil the child. That's what the Bible says. Why do you just leave them alone? And they're wicked in their nature. The cutest ones will lie to you. Had another Holy Ghost moment with the kids just the other day. My son looked right at me, flat out lied, just looked at me and lied. I said, son, here's how this is going to work. You're going to go and get me what you said you didn't have, which I know you do have. You're going to bring it to me right now. This will be your only chance. I said, and if you don't, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show you where it's at. And if I go get it, you're not going to spend this week in camp. He went out and got it, brought it to me, started to hand it to me, started to walk away, thought he had escaped a sermon. I said, hold it right there, son. Look at me for one second. Holy Ghost liar. It'll always go off whenever you try, just so you know that it's always going to be this way. I'm not planning on changing had the same conversation with Ashley one time. She'd come up, she just lied to me straight up. I looked at her and said, why would you lie about something so stupid? I'd ask her if she'd had anything to eat before supper. Simple question, only because I wanted to know, should I go ahead and make supper now or were you hungry? I'm just kind of feeling the family out. And she looked at me and said, no. And, I, and the Holy Ghost, when she's lying, I said, why would you lie about something like that? She said, I'm not lying. I said, before you say anything else. Holy Ghost, liar. Holy Ghost, liar. Now just think about what you're going to say. Well, I snuck a Pop-Tart. Well, I don't care if you have a Pop-Tart. I care that you lied about it. Well, I'm glad she's not here tonight. I bet you, I bet you Thomas is glad he ain't here tonight either, you know. But I can use them a little bit more. They're not here, and don't go telling them. Don't go on Facebook. Your dad. Just learn a lesson. I'm trying to share a lesson. I only got one life to draw from here. You know, I wish I'd had my kids when I was young and stupid, but we didn't have them till later. Now it's gonna, I'm going to be on a walker trying to get Marissa, you know, at her college baccalaureate. I'm going to be like, I'm coming, baby. Congratulations. Just a minute. Daddy got to fix his teeth. You know, I mean, I'm going to be old. I'm telling you, when I get these kids raised. All my friends have grandchildren by now, you know, but I'm just, I'm just still getting them raised. But the only stories I got, but it's the Holy Spirit that just reveals that. Amen. It's that, it's that, it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. That, that, that empowers us. And you know, that nature is in them. We have to confront that nature. We have to deal with that sin nature. It's there. We don't. And not only that, then there's the things that, hey, let's face it, you've done some pretty nasty stuff. I mean, some of you were freaks before you got saved. I mean, it's taken everything the Holy Ghost has got just to keep you somewhere near normal now. You know, I mean, that's just the truth. <coughs> and then yet the Bible says we're held accountable for every thought. Oh, dear God. You mean God knows what we think? Yeah, the devil doesn't know what you think, but God knows. That's why we have to cast down every thought and imagination. Oh, my God, my imaginations. God knew all my imaginations, and he forgave all of that. Every idle word forgave all of that. Forgave it. <coughs> he forgives us all of that, and if someone comes up and hurts our feelings, and we can't find any grace for them. <coughs> We're without excuse. That's what Jesus is trying to say. We're without excuse. But not only that, we're living in the flesh. 
<clears throat> because the spirit man will value the favor of the Father and the presence of Jesus over hurt feelings. Well, that made me look bad. Well, I'll tell you what, that disrespected me. And I'll tell you, I'm just so sick and tired of hearing about respect. <coughs> I'm not even sure I know what it means. You say, what are you talking about? Try to ask somebody today, what does respect mean? None of us know until we see disrespect, then we know. <laughs> well, I know, I know, I'll tell you what, it ain't that right there. And that's what most people are getting offended about is, well, I didn't get respected. I didn't get the respect that was due me. I didn't, you know, <clears throat> we had one person left the church. I'd been here for years and I asked him, I said, listen, what is going on? I, I mean, I can't believe you're leaving here. I mean, you poured your heart, your life into this. What are you, what are you doing? He started citing several ideas that he had that we didn't do his ideas. We didn't do it his way. And I thought, well, okay, then let me cite the ideas that we did do it your way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Pretty soon I'm in an argument. I feel like I'm talking to my wife. Well, you know, I wanted to do this and you didn't do this. Well, yeah, but you wanted to do this and we did it exactly the way you wanted. So, you know, this idea that you weren't respected, obviously you were respected because your ideas are all over the church. But it wasn't 100%, you see. It wasn't every single one of them. Is that what respect is? It's not being heard. It's not when it's a good idea and everybody agrees that we get behind it. No, we have to do every single thing that comes out of your mouth for that to be respect. See, that's how arbitrary it gets to where I don't even know what it is. I didn't think that was respect. I thought that was total control. <laughs> Golly, I'm sitting there as the pastor saying I didn't agree with several of those ideas and they voted them in and did them. I don't know what to say. I mean, I wanted a blue roof. Is the roof blue? No, they said it would look like Walmart. I said, perfect. People will show up thinking it's a Walmart. We get them saved. It's perfect. They said, no, we have a green roof. Fine. I, you know, I wasn't in charge. The majority ruled, but you know. I wanted to look like a Walmart. I mean, have you ever been to a Walmart? They're packed. Let them start a rumor. I think they're building a Walmart in Shepherdsville, right down 44. And since I didn't get the sign that I wanted, nobody would have known the difference. For four years, they could have thought it was a Walmart. There wasn't even a sign by the road. I'm just saying this. That, that's not respect. I, I never felt disrespected as the pastor because I lost the vote and we got a green roof. Oh, I'm leaving here right now. I'm telling you right now, blue is God's color. Go Wildcats. <laughs> that's, God, that's God's color. I mean, what in the world? I'm just saying, I don't know what respect is. It's just feelings, just a bunch of feelings. And the Bible says, well, wait a minute, what you could do together because it's any two of you. I like what Rod Parsley said. He said, he said what if when he said two of you means that when you have, as a leader, imparted your spirit into at least one other person, then you now have this supernatural potential because there are two of you. And isn't that what happened in the church? The apostle Paul put his spirit into Timothy and the church went on. Amen? And Barnabas put his spirit into Paul and then later into John Mark, and the church went on. And maybe it takes a while for there to be two of you. It takes a while to have somebody mature in Christ and then to develop that same character in somebody else. And when now when there's two of you, and see, the devil wants to stop there ever being two. Are you following me? Because if there's two, 
then they can ask anything and it will be done. If we can get two of you, two of you that walk in the same spirit, that see the same vision, that feel the same burden and the same call, that pray and function under the same anointing, the windows of heaven are going to open up over those two and supernatural things are going to begin to happen in their life. Amen. If the devil can put a stop to that, and that's why he spends most of her time as what? As an accuser of the brethren. What did the Bible say? That there are seven things that the Lord hates, and the eighth is an abomination. He that soweth discord among brothers. Why would God have such an issue with that? Because that's Satan's whole plot and plan, that if he can come in and divide the brotherhood, Amen. If he can get two people that cannot agree and they cannot come together, then they have now been weakened. And the greatest power that he has given to them, the power to access the favor of the Father and the presence of his Son, it's been stolen from them. Man, in the church, we've got to begin to prioritize the power of God over personality. We've got to begin to prioritize the potential of our agreement over anything that we might disagree upon. We must begin to celebrate the fact, amen, that God has assigned us to accomplish the same person, the same purpose. So therefore, we may rub each other the wrong way and you may not like my hair and I I may not like the way you wear your makeup, but we are going to have to look past some of these things because there's power in our coming together and I won't sacrifice that power because of my personal preferences or because I don't think you gave me the amount of respect that I was due. Amen. We've got to begin to come together and we've got to begin to prioritize what is important and what is important if not the favor of God and the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't trade someone who would come in here and worship with me and not be afraid to let their hair down and call upon God and be unashamed. Uh, Amen. Until the presence of God is manifested in this place, then to be in a crowd with a thousand people who all have suits and ties and Mercedes in the parking lot. You say, why? Because that's what I value. I value the presence of Jesus. I value the power of God. Church, when we begin to come together in one mind and and in one accord, amen, that's why the Bible tells us on the day of Pentecost they were in one mind, one accord in the same place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. My God, 500 stood and watched the angel of the Lord ascend up into the heavens. Amen. Jesus Christ himself ascended off of the mountain after giving them final words. Then the angel of the Lord said, Why stand you here gazing? The same one that you see going away is going to come again and receive you in like manner. And the 500 people saw this incredible manifestation. There's people in this room right now that think, well, you know, if the pastor rose up and went through the ceiling, well, I'd believe God. I'd never doubt it the rest of my life. But I'm going to tell you, 380 people quit praying. Amen. They quit coming to the upper room. Uh, They got their feelings hurt somehow. They weren't given the preeminence that they thought they should have. Uh, Well, I thought I was more important than he was, and why does he get to sit in the front? Uh, I just don't know. And they found something to pick at. They didn't like the color, didn't like the temperature, didn't like the food, but they found something, but they missed it. Uh, Because those 120 that stuck it out, uh, when they got in one mind and one accord, heaven came down, and God burnt the church. Uh, And they knew God in a way that the Old Testament patriarchs could only dream about. Abraham may have walked and talked with God. Ezekiel had his dreams and visions. But on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of the Father filled their very bodies and dwelt inside of them like fire shut up within their bones. I'm going to tell you something, church. We need to get our eyes on spiritual things. Get our eyes on spiritual things. I love what what dad brought out 
when he was here. We got too much mind. Our mind is too much on the flesh. I thought out of everything he said, that was probably the most precious thing that I grabbed. Our mind is too much on the flesh. What it wears, how it looks, is it entertained, is it well-rested? We need to get our mind on spiritual things. We begin to look towards heavenly things. What is important? Amen. We need to confront disunity for what it is. It is there for one and one and only purpose. And that's to stop us from reaching our heavenly potential. And that's the only reason that it exists. That's the only reason that it's there. Amen. When someone is speaking division and discourse, we need to dismiss it. Amen. We need to, conf- we need to learn to confront it as God's people. I'm absolutely amazed Amen, at how many people are silent. Amen, while people of God are under attack. Amen, there's no reason, there's no reason to tolerate that spirit. We know what that spirit is. Confront that spirit for what it is. If you can't, hey, I, well, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, my grandma said this. If you can't say something good, don't say nothing at all. If you're not, I like, I like one old, one old time preacher preached a sermon one night and I'll never forget it. Amen. That, that night, (coughs) he brought in this great big old sludge hammer and then he brought in this hammer and nails and he says, these two hammers are similar, but they serve a completely different purpose. He said, one's for building and one's for wrecking. And he said, in the kingdom of God, you're either building it up or you're tearing it down. Your words are either lifting up or they're tearing down. There ain't no in between. There ain't nothing neutral. It's either building up or it's tearing down. And I'll never forget that sermon. I'll never forget that old sludge hammer. We got to the end of that and he threw that out and he took that hammer and he took that nail. And he had brought some little pieces with him and he just began to build. And when he got done, he built this beautiful little birdhouse right in front of us just while he was talking. And when he finished that sermon, he just left that birdhouse standing there and he said, I don't know about you. He said, but when my life is over, he said, I don't want to leave a pile of junk garbage. And all the things that he had wrecked and tore up were piled over here. He said, but I want to leave something behind that was built on the principles of God. Church, I don't know about you. My life is over. I, <clears throat> I don't want to be known for what I tore down. I want to be known for what I built for the glory of God. I want to be known for the people that I built up. I want to be known for the for the Dustins that are in the ministry and the Laurens that are in the workplace with a testimony for Jesus and anointing on their life. I, I want to be known for the people that I have built up, for the Joshes and the Angies that nobody else saw the potential in them, but we raised them up as pastors and prophets. Sheila Baroshat. For what I built for the glory of God, not for what I tore down. Amen. I'm telling you right now, church, there's a word here for us. If we'll begin to stand together and believe this and begin to begin to defend one another, begin to forgive one another. My God, give some grace. Give some grace. I I wrote a little blog about that. I hope you have a chance to read it. But just about the fact that it seems like once we get saved, there ain't no more grace for us anymore breaks my heart to see the way we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ if it was an outright sinner we'd say oh they're a precious soul let's reach out let's save them but let a Christian make a mistake and we turn on them and we treat them horribly and we judge them and we're judgmental and we're Pharisees after everything Jesus preached about the Pharisees we still turned out just like them and we point our fingers at them we make fun of their mistakes 
And I don't believe in that. I'm just telling you right now. Over the, I've been criticized for who my friends are. I play golf with a guy that's been married five times. Get over it. Get over it. Get past. I'm criticized for that. I don't care. He's my friend. And he's not my friend because he's perfect. He's not my friend because he's perfect. He's not my friend because I agree with everything that he does. He's my friend because I love him. Because years ago, years ago I came and held a revival at this church. (laughs) And I began to pray for him. And you know what? Everybody else went and sat down. And the pastor even got mad at me and criticized me for it. But I prayed for him that night. Until after about 30, 40 minutes, God baptized him with the Holy Ghost. And man, from that out, night on, we just, we've shared that. We've shared that experience. I remember one time I walked around the corner and this sister had left our church. She was a handful. I mean, let's just face it. She was a handful. I know she was. I always knew she was. She knew she was. <laughs> I should have known when her... <laughs> First time she came to our church, Doug Lutz called me and he'd been her pastor for about four or five years. And she started coming and he called me and he said, I heard she's coming over. I said, Yeah. I had called him and left the message. I said, I wanted to ask you about her. You know, what, what's going on? He says, well, he said, I believe, Brother James, if there's anybody in this world that can pastor her, it's you. Man, I should have known right then. You set me up. But she'd come to church a while and offended some people, and then she left, and then she came back. I come around the corner, and here's this precious gray-haired sister in the land of bondage, holiness, well, what are we going to do about that witch coming to our church? Everybody was real quiet because they saw me walk in, but she didn't. She turned around. Oh, pastor. I said, I can answer that question for you, sis. I said, what? I said, we're going to forgive her because God commanded us to. He didn't leave us any room. He said, you got to do it. You got to forgive them. I said, we're going to forgive her, and we're going to do our best to pastor her and She might change and she might not. I don't know if she did. I'll be honest. And when she left the next time, she never said much or had much to do with us. But I know this, when I stood by her graveside a couple years ago, I didn't regret giving her that chance. I never regretted giving her the opportunity to do the right thing. This is very real. It's real. It's real. It's a, there's a cost. I made a decision a long time ago. I had 68 people and was making more money then than I do now. And I made a decision that I was going to rock the boat and reach out. And whoever God had for us, we were going to open up and accept them. And immediately we lost some people. And over the years, I've watched it happen time and time again. It would blow your mind. The first time little Anna ever came to this church, I had a board member that quit because they were not going to go to church with a little girl that had AIDS. It wasn't worth it to them. I'm not putting my children at risk, and how could you ever ask me to? Because I didn't know what to do with Anna but to love her and to accept her. And we put in every kind of protocol and our nurseries have hand sanitizers and we've got gloves in there and we did everything we knew to do to make everybody safe. But I'm not turning her away. I said, I'm not turning her away. I, I'm not turning her away. And we made the decision and the cost has been great. 
But I'm telling you, we're, on the, we're at the brink of a group of people who have been faithful getting a hold of this same Holy Spirit. I think I, I don't want to be presumptive in saying this, and I promise you there's no arrogance and pride in my heart tonight when I say there's about to be more than two of me. Amen. There's some people that are catching that inside of their spirit and realizing the church isn't for the perfect. Church is not for the whole. Jesus Christ said, I came not for them that need not a physician. I came for the sick. I came for the hurting. I came for the broken. God, deliver us from the spirit of religion that has taken a hold of the church. Give us the hurting. Give it. It's a high price to pay. And I know what it is to pour years into people, see them get delivered from drugs and alcohol, and God straighten them out, straighten out their finances, give them a home, and they fall right back into the same pit again. And man, it'd just be really easy to say, well, you know what? We just, it doesn't pay. And yeah, maybe it, maybe it doesn't pay this side of heaven, but again, I've never stood by one of those gravestones and felt like I ever wasted a minute of my time. Because anytime you help God keep a promise, <laughs> I said anytime you help God keep his word, you become part of that eternal record. And I'm going to tell you, it is the love of God that God has spoken. God has said it. He said it prophetically. The next wave of revival that hits this nation, the next wave of revival that hits this church, is going to be symbolized by agape love. God said, when you see the love of God moving through the people like waves of water, like waves crashing up against the seashore, one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. He said, know that this is the sign that my revival is here. Amen. It's time for us to see it. It's time for us to live it. It's time for us to practice it. Amen. It's time for us to forgive. It's time for us to lay it down. The hurt is not worth what it's costing you. Your unforgiveness is costing you. You say, why? Well, because you got a $7 hurt. And it's going to cost you a $50,000 debt cancellation. It's going to cost you your soul in the end, is what he's trying to tell us. It's going to cost you your soul. It's going to cost you your relationship with the king. And I don't know about you, but I haven't met anybody yet that I'll give up Jesus for them. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they've done. Can, can we pray together? Praise the Lord, because I don't want to go much longer. I know I've held you here a while, but this is, this is on my heart. You can tell that. This is real to me. I learned as a young minister one time I got offended. I didn't do anything wrong. Somebody lied on me and I got offended. And I found myself so hurt because I looked up to this person so much. I was so hurt and devastated that I was driving down the road having conversations with them all by myself. You ever do that? I was driving down the road. This is what I'd say and this is what I'd do. And I said, Finally, I went to the Lord and I said, God, you've got to take this out of my spirit. I can't get up every night preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and have this in my spirit. I can't do it. I mean, if this is what it means to be in the ministry, that you're going to be portrayed by, your, by the people that you look up to the most, I don't know, I don't know if I'm, I can handle this. I, I thought I was prepared. I thought I watched my father's life and I saw what he went through. And, and, I, and, and I made a tough decision. When I accepted the call of God, I made a tough decision. I, I didn't have any... Uh, uh, fairy tales. I knew what ministry was like. I knew what real ministry was like. And I knew what, it, I thought I knew what it cost until it was me. And I was betrayed. 
and somebody that should have been teaching me the very things that I'm teaching to you tonight, they were on the other side of this acting like a fool. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit told me to go on a fast. I went on a seven-day fast. Not only did I go on a fast, but we were, on a, we were doing a ministry team, and I did all the cooking for everybody all week long. I mean, I fasted. I didn't, eat, I didn't eat anything. I drank nothing but water, and I cooked all day long, three meals a day. I, to- I literally tortured myself. Until, buddy, by the end of those seven days, I had told the Lord, I said, God, <laughs> I said, God, if you'll release me to eat, I will love anybody you tell me to love. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'll hug Medusa if you bring her snaky head over here. Right now, I hug her. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you right now, I was, I was dead. There wasn't James McFadden was dead. There wasn't nothing left. I never had another thought about it. Never had another thought about it. Never had another dream about it. Never had another. Next time I saw that person, I just went up, hugged him, showed him love, showed him respect. It wasn't last, last year I saw him at a funeral. I just went up and showed him all the respect that you could possibly give a man of God. And I literally, they almost cried. Him and his wife both, they just almost cried. They said, he looked at me and he said, he said, when I see what you've done with the work of God there in Shepherdsville, I want you to know, Jimmy, they still call me Jimmy. They knew me back in the day when you could call me Jimmy. You didn't, so you can't, but they did. Well, you did, sister. <laughs> you did. Okay, that's the two. I don't know. Did I miss somebody? No. But they said, we're proud of you. Proud of you. Listen, all I'm saying is, is that whatever it is, it's worth just getting it over it. You let it go. It's affecting you, not them. See, if they had the sense to know, they would have already dealt with it. They don't know, obviously. But it's affecting you because you're going places in God and you can't go there where God wants you to be and hang on to this garbage. You've got to let this go. So I want us to pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, by your grace, by your mercy, give us the strength tonight to love. Give us the power tonight in the name of Jesus. Every yoke will be broken. Mighty God. Give us the strength to do whatever it takes to lay on the altar the flesh that was wounded, the flesh that was seared. God, remove the poisoned arrows and words spoken that pricked our heart, God. Give us love. God, give us love. Give us the grace, God, to be as Jesus was on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let your spirit flow through us, God. And let this church be a church for the hurting. Let this church be a church for the broken. Let this church be a church for the imperfect. God, I pray, bring them in. Bring them in. If nobody else wants them, we want them, God. Lord, if nobody else would have them, we'll have them, God. Oh, Father, give us a heart of love. Give us a people, Lord, that are so filled with love, God. That it flows like a river. Oh, God, give us the kind of love you don't have to earn. And you don't have to purchase. But it's given freely. From the untapped, Lord, unquenchable river of heaven. throne room. Where there is an everlasting supply. Where it's deeper than the oceans, it's higher than the sky. It's bigger than the vastness of space itself. God, your love, Heavenly Father, it fills all. Give us a love that endures all things, hopes all things, 
A love that never fails. Yes, Jesus. God, give us a love that is powerful. That it'll break the chains of addiction. It'll break the chains, Heavenly Father God, of, of, of abuse and rejection off of people's lives. Love, God, that will deliver the oppressed. Love, God, that will cause people to rise up and reach their heavenly potential, God. Love that rises with healing in its wings, God. In the powerful name of Jesus, we ask and we pray and we thank you for it tonight. We thank you for it tonight, God. For a revival of love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Glory to God. I want us to stand together. If we could, we're going to pray one more time. Someone's brought me a note that they have a, uh, uh, they've received word that there are talking.